I want to thank you for subscribing to our podcast and for listening today. Feel free if you would like uh, to rate and review us. Uh, we would also love to connect with you. If you would like to, to speak to a pastor or if you would want more information about our church, you can text CONNECT to 903 586 6520 and we will uh, certainly follow up with you if you would like to uh, support the ministry here at, at fellowship bible church uh, we would greatly appreciate that uh, we have worked hard to improve our our video quality and our online capabilities so that you can watch us during this uh, difficult time away safely from a distance so uh, if you would if you would like to support the ministry here you can text give to the same number 903-586-6520 we would greatly appreciate your support and again thank you for listening in how many of you follow someone on social media whether it be facebook Instagram, Twitter, one of those or, or others I'm unaware of. Well, for those of you all who do, you whether it's a celebrity that you follow or a, a family member or a close friend or even a casual acquaintance, you know that for you to be a follower of them, all you have to do is simply click yes to the friend request or follow, right? And then you can follow them as closely as you want to. You can follow them each and every day. You can even private message them and plan on meeting up with them or, or not at all. You could check on them once, uh, once a month or, or never. And yet you're still considered to be a follower of that person, right? Well, I mention that because many view their relationship with Christ in this way. They believe all that really matters is that, that initial decision to follow Jesus. And after that, the commitment level depends upon the one following. One could be completely uh, uh, sold out to that relationship, completely committed or very little. But regardless of the commitment, they're still a follower of Jesus. Many believe that all that is required to follow Jesus is to say a simple rote prayer and walk the aisle. That is what we call nominal Christianity or easy believism. And here in the belt buckle of the Bible belt, we have just been drenched with this teaching, absolutely drenched. If this teaching is true, that all you have to do to be a follower of Jesus is just to say a simple rote prayer and then go on with life as usual, living life like you want to live it. Then what on earth did Jesus mean when he said in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that's a profession of faith. It's a false profession of faith. But it's a profession. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I 
never knew you. See, they're saying, we know you, Jesus. You know what Jesus says? I don't know you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What is Jesus saying there? How do we understand this? What we're going to learn this morning in another text like this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Being a true disciple goes much deeper than just saying a simple rote prayer or raising your hand with every head bowed and eye closed. Being a true disciple of Christ is more than putting Christian on your Facebook profile. I heard someone say this recently. Many believe following Jesus is more about wearing a cross than bearing one. You get what's being communicated there? It's the other way around, right? We're going to learn the opposite is true this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14. We are continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is making his way with his disciples to Jerusalem. Word of Jesus has no doubt spread throughout this region because everywhere Jesus goes, large crowds follow him. And, and we see that here in verse 25 of Luke 14. We're told, now great crowds accompanied him. Many wanted to get a glimpse at, at Jesus. They wanted to see this miracle working man, hopefully see a miracle as well. And, and many expressed a desire to follow him like his disciples. And when they do, how does Jesus respond to them, those who want to follow him? Does he say, sure, come on, following me is easy. Come on, just do it quickly. Don't ask too many questions. Is that what he does? No. He tells them to stop and consider the terms. And he tells them, it's costly to follow me. It's costly. He tells them in this passage three requirements to follow him. You must hate family, bear your cross, and renounce all you have. Three very simple steps, right? Right? Hate family, take up your cross, and renounce everything. That's what he says. It's truly radical what he's communicating here, but because of what he says, we need to really dig in and understand what, what, is, what is the point Jesus is making here, all right? So let's look at it. Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. Let me read the passage for you. This is God's word, believers. Hear it. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter 
another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Verse 34. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, instruct us by your Spirit, with your Word, on the cost of being your disciple. Make us willing no matter the cost, to faithfully follow you wherever you lead. May we be willing to pay the price for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice three points in this passage on the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. First, a disciple of Christ values Jesus more than any other person. Look at verses 25 and 26. He turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, what is Jesus saying here? I mean, the fifth commandment tells us we're to honor father and mother, right? Is Jesus contradicting God's command there in, in number five on the Big Ten? No. No, obviously he is using hyperbole here. Jesus often used this. We've got to be careful at times. Many people just want to take everything literal. That literally means hate. And, and, and they'll use it in that way. It'll get you in trouble a lot. We've got to know the, the, how Jesus, the, the style in which Jesus taught, the methods he used at times, and he is using hyperbole here. He, he does it often, and, and, and when he's teaching, we're, we're obviously, we're not to hate father and mother, wife, right, children, brothers, sisters. We're not to hate anyone. We're to love our neighbors. We're to love our enemies. Jesus' point here. He's saying something extreme, though. I want you to get it. Don't just pass over it. That's not what he's saying and move on. He's saying something very important. He is saying that love toward him is to be so great that all other forms of it look like hate in comparison. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying he must be first. No rivals. He must be who is most important. He demands greater allegiance from his disciples than they give to father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. He says, those who have life in me must prioritize their life with me. That's what he's saying. Again, he's not calling for them to dishonor father and mother, neglect Family. He is 
simply showing them how their priorities should stack up. He is telling them that no earthly relationship should ever, 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 ever trump our heavenly relationship with him. Some of you here listening, some of you online, you, you know what this means. You've, you've experienced this. There have been some who come to faith in Jesus Christ who have endured trials with family and friends because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. I have had friends who have been ridiculed for their faith by father, mother, brother, sister. They've been cut off from family because their Christian convictions conflict with the lifestyle choices of their family members. J.C. Ryle once said this. Look at this quote on the screen. The greatest foes to a man's soul are sometimes those of his own house. It sometimes happens that the great hindrance in the way of an awkward conscience is the opposition of relatives and friends. Ungodly fathers who cannot bear to see their sons taking up new views of religion. Worldly mothers who are vexed to see their daughters unwilling to enter into the gaieties of the world. A collision of opinion takes place frequently as soon as grace enters into a family and then comes the time when the true Christian must remember the spirit of our Lord's words in this passage. Underline this. Mark this down. Write it down. He must be willing to offend his family rather than offend Christ. Yes. Many can relate to this. But there is also application for those who have family in the church. This doesn't just apply in the, the context where a family is, is opposed to the Lord, but in the context of a, a, a family who is, who is committed to the Lord. Sometimes there is a temptation among families in the church to value comfort and security in the context of family over faithfully following the Lord wherever He leads. When I'm counseling with some young believers wanting to be faithful to the Lord, I find that at times one of the biggest roadblocks in the way is their dad and mom in the church. They don't want you to move their grandbabies overseas to do mission ministry. Don't take them away. Why would you do that to us? Heard those things. They're not prioritizing being a disciple of Christ as they should. And my advice often to these young people, what are we to do? I tell them, you're to love and honor your father and mother, and you're to be faithful to the Lord above everything. That's it. The point of application for us all is to realize that our relationship with Christ and faithfulness to Him is to be number one. It is our top priority. Top priority. Believers, do not let anyone or anything in your life come between that relationship with the Lord Jesus and the calling that He has placed on your lives. And folks, don't stand in the way of family and friends living faithfully for the Lord. Instead, encourage them to do that. 
Point number two, a disciple of Jesus values Jesus more than life itself. Look at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Similar to what Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 9 during his, his Galilean ministry, uh, Jesus tells those would-be disciples in the crowd, if you're going to be my disciples, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to bear a cross, not simply wear one. That's what he tells them. The Christian life is more than just giving lip service to God. Remember, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is mine will enter into my kingdom. It's more than just giving lip service to God and saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and rose again. You remember that song we sang? We sing. You got to do more than just sing those words. It's a call, as John MacArthur said, to self-suicide. The death of self. A willingness to embrace suffering persecution, execution if God so wills. The calling of Christ is a call to die. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, before laying his own life down for the cause of Christ and for the sake of others, in his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, says this. Look at this quote. When Christ bids a man to follow him, he bids that man to come and die. The Bidiania Buile. And his commentary on Luke says that following Jesus only meant clicking a button and everyone would do it. Jesus goes to a cross. So we who follow him must go to a cross too. He dies for us and we die with him. Now, while following Jesus meant literal death for, for many of the disciples in Jesus' day and a, a number of faithful throughout church history and should be a sacrifice that, that we are, are willing to make if it be God's will because life eternal with Jesus is better than anything this world affords. Notice when Jesus talks about taking up your cross in Luke 9. You'll read about it this week. He talks about taking up your cross daily. Now that's unique, right? I believe that's what's being communicated here as well. Taking up your cross daily. This is what I, I, I believe is, is similar to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. When he calls for believers to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, living sacrifice is unique, right? What's a living sacrifice? That's meant to stick out to us. Listen to Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul in Romans 12 is using some familiar imagery here meant to take his, his Jewish audience in, in Rome back to the Old Testament where they offered up countless numbers of sacrifices, sacrifice upon sacrifice offered up to God. And Paul is using this imagery here in Romans 12.1 to tell Christians in Rome, you are to think of your lives in a similar 
separate way. You are to think of yourself, your, your, your body, your mind, your heart as a sacrifice to be offered up to God again and again and again and again throughout your life. You are to take up your cross daily. You are to bear a cross again and again to be my disciple. Our lives, believers, are to be a living sacrifice to God. That's what he's saying. Now, that's unique. Again, sacrifices are often dead, right? In the Old Testament, they had been killed before they were offered up. Paul says, you're to offer up a living sacrifice, which means you are dead to self, dead to your wants, your needs, your, de your desires, and alive to God and alive for his glory. Matthew and Nathan came this morning to be baptized, and we talked about that when we met together. That's the picture of baptism. It is being buried. It is dying to your old way of living, and it's being raised to walk in newness of life in Christ. That's the picture that we're reminded of in, in baptism. That's what Jesus is calling for here. For us to, to, to be dead to our wants, our needs, our desires, and live our lives for him. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary on Luke, says, Carry the cross means daily identification with Christ in shame, suffering, and surrender to God's will. It means death to self, to our own plans and ambitions, and a willingness to serve him as he directs. Jesus says, bear your cross and come after me. Talk as I talk. Walk as I walk. Love as I love. Live as I live. Be about God's kingdom. Be about what matters for eternity, believers. Cling tightly to heavenly things. Hold loosely to earthly things. Endure suffering and rejection if it be God's will. Remain faithful to God's gospel and obedient in your walk with Christ. Follow me, Jesus says. This is the sacrifice that you are to make. This is the sacrifice that all disciples are to make. And get this, it's a sacrifice worth making. You believe that? Amen, Connie. Me too. It's a sacrifice worth making. But it's a costly one. It's a costly sacrifice. And it comes with Serious terms to consider before we make the plunge. Jesus tells potential disciples to consider the terms, count the cost before following him. Look at verses 27 through 32 again. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. That makes sense, right? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So what Jesus says here is very, very unique. 
His approach to evangelism is much different than the way we do it in the West. At times you'll hear evangelists today say, come, come quickly, don't ask questions, just come, hurry, say yes to Jesus while today is today. Now, in saying that, let me say this. The Bible does give us a word of urgency to, to respond to the gospel message in the midst of uncertainty, right? We, we are called to, to repent and turn now while today is today, right? And, and not delay because God's patience will soon end and then his judgment will come and we don't know what the next moment holds. So there is that sense of urgency, but first... Jesus wants us to know the terms and count the cost of that. Jesus calls for potential disciples to consider the cost of following him. He wants them to know that the calling that he has placed on his disciples is a costly one. He wants them to consider that before making a commitment. Before making any major decision, it's always wise to count the cost, right? Just think about it in life. And Jesus gives us some, some practical examples of this. What if a builder did not consider counting the cost before constructing a tower, right? That wouldn't be wise, would it? That could be a disaster. That might lead to a lot of expense for an incomplete and unlivable structure. It would make him, him a laughingstock in that day and today, wouldn't it? What happens if a king rushed into war against an army greater than his, and he didn't consider how strong that army was or, or even a strategy on how to defeat them. That could lead, at, at best, to a humiliating surrender. At worst, destruction and death. These are life-altering decisions that Jesus gives. Same is true of Jesus' calling for his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. We have really cheapened it, haven't we? It has lost all its meaning on what it takes to follow Jesus. Some rush into decisions to follow Jesus and do not meet the terms of discipleship that Jesus calls for here. They just believe simple facts to be true about him, pray a simple rote prayer, and believe they're free from their consequences. But their life is not going to be altered all that much. I still get to live the way I want to live, right? I'm free to live the way I want to live. No, no, no. You're free from sin and death and free to live for God. You're no longer a slave to sin, as we talked about, as we sang today. That's what that means. Those who rush into following him without considering the terms of discipleship, they fail to make the kind of commitment that Christ calls for here, and therefore they do not persevere in their faith. They, they, in their, and the reason why is because their faith is not genuine. They believed in vain, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Did you know you can believe in vain? You don't believe it, just ask Paul. He wrote about it. You can. They misrepresent the Christian faith, they lose the battle in life, and they are of no use to God in the kingdom. Not my words, Jesus' words. They're like salt that's lost its flavor and its effectiveness. 
Look at verse 34. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Salt in this day was highly valued. I read where it was often given in addition to salary. You know, we'll say today, especially in the South, he or she, are they worth their salt? You've probably said that right. That's where that comes from. Salt was a preservative for, for food. It was used to provide flavor. But salt that has lost its flavor is of no use. Salt that's lost its flavor, it's, it's no good. Certainly not good for soil or for a manure pile. Same is true of the one who tries to make a decision for Christ and ignores the terms he gives for true discipleship. Jesus says, to be my disciple, you must value me more than any other person. You must value me more than life itself. You must value me before any earthly thing. That's the final point. A disciple of Christ values Jesus more than any earthly thing. Look at verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is talking here about one's possessions. You cannot value mother, father, wife, children, brother, sister, your own life, or your possessions more than Jesus. Jesus is to be valued above everything. That's what he's saying. Again, he lets these would-be disciples know following him is costly. Now, when many are discussing the great cost of following Jesus, many focus on the stuff they've got to give up. That's where their focus goes. Not on Jesus, but what I have to give up. And, and that's where the focus is. And what, what results from that focus is either not making a sacrifice that's worthy of Jesus or being confused about what kind of sacrifice is worthy of Jesus, this much, this percentage, what, what about this? And then there's some people who give away a whole lot, but they're focused on what they gave up, and then they become prideful in the fact that I've given up a lot more than this person over here. All of those approaches are wrong, folks, and they could be damaging to you spiritually. Listen, don't think of it in terms of what you have to give up. Okay, Think about it in terms of whether or not Jesus is worth it. That's the question you need to have answered. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worth it? If your answer is yes, I'm confident you're going to make the kind of sacrifice that's worthy of him. That's where your focus needs to go. The value you place on being a follower of Jesus boils down to how important you think Jesus is. So the application for you today is to examine your life. Look at how you spend your time. Look at how you spend your money. Look at those things and, and ask yourself, am I living in such a way that shows that he's worthy of these things? How important is Jesus to you? Is he more important than anyone or anything? 
life itself, more than anything this world affords. You believe the words written by Ray Miller, 1922, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Jesus said to be His disciples. We must value Him over every earthly relationship, over our own lives, and over anything this world affords. I want to end this morning by addressing those here and, and those of you that are, that are listening online who are not following Christ. Those of you who have not yet given your life up and over to Him, I hope and pray this morning you see how important Christ is. Jesus says this calling to follow Him, this ministry of proclaiming Him is greater than any earthly comfort, all human relationships more important than life itself. There's a reason why. The reason is because without Jesus, we're without hope. Without Him, we have nothing. Had He not come, there would be no salvation. Apart from His great work as our great high priest, laying His life down as our perfect substitute and sacrifice, we would be without forgiveness. We would be at odds with God, enemies of His. Had He not conquered death through His death and resurrection, death stinger would still be in us. Without Christ, John says, we would not see life, but the wrath of God would remain on us. Praise be to God, He sent His Son to live and die and rise again so that we, through turning from our sin and turning toward Him and trusting in Him alone for salvation, could be forgiven of sin and restored to God. Have you forsaken your sin? Have you bowed your knee to Jesus Today Is He Lord of your life? I pray you would respond to Him. If you have not today, by repenting of your sin, placing your faith and trust in Jesus so that you can be saved today. Let's pray together.